Hello, and welcome to our 50th episode of the Manam podcast. I am one of your hosts, Becca Schoenborn, joined by my co-host, Dustin Dubuque. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It's weird because we're, <laughs> we're, we're on, so close to each other. We're so close to each other. We're on Zoom today for our first ever Zoom guest, too, that we'll get to in a second because... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we had to do this. So now we're sitting close to each other, not looking at each other, but also yeah. looking at each other in a camera that's putting back to us. So this is an interesting concept this morning. <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's where we are. We're used our... to talking to each other, not like at, through a computer screen. Through a computer guess, screen. So. so this should this should be fun. So yeah. 50 episodes, crazy, right? Over two years doing this thing. I know. It went Who would have thought? thought that we're like this cool? I know. We really We've are. spawned two other Menominee podcasts from us. Yeah. So like, I mean, pioneers, really. Yeah, we're just paving the way for podcasts <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> or something, I don't know. So what have you been up to? Now that it's early summer, we were just talking off microphone. It's early summer. Must be some stuff going on. Yeah, I went to the beach for the first time. You're at the beach already? I went to the bottoms oh, already, yeah. Good for you. It was very nice. Yeah. I feel like I got sunburned a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, that's bound My to happen. pale Wisconsin skin is not, it always is a little rough the first couple times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always. I immediately get burnt. Yeah. And I put sunscreen on. I didn't just go out there with nothing, but. Sure. See, I don't put sunscreen on. I And then even with my kids, like I always forget. And then like they come inside after the day and like my son is just red on the shoulders and I'm like, whoops, Shame. that's bad parenting on my end. I didn't even think of that. Doesn't uh, didn't even cross my mind. Way to go! I know. I'm sorry, but we don't need to banter that much because, no. again, like I it said, it feels weird bantering. It, when it does. With, with, yeah, screen. with with Tim is Tim Harpson, stand-up comedian from Anomaly, still, uh, you know, being fun with us as we're on Zoom, and he's just staring at us, waiting for us to talk to him. So this is way worse. So Tim, thanks for being here. How are you? Well, I uh, I'm sunburned. So thanks for the heads up. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the the tips. Uh, I'm great. I, I'm just uh, I'm really great. And 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 uh, Becca, did you mention the bottoms? Yeah. Like the Chippewa bottoms. The Dunville bottoms. Like, Dunville bottoms. Yep, it's like 15 minutes south of town. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we used to go there when we were in high school, and that was the that was the kind of the party zone. And there was a, a like a sandbar out in the middle of the Chippewa there. And so we would go out there and uh, you know, bring a case of beer and have a, have a fire. And the police would inevitably show up. Like the, the sheriff would come out and they'd pull their cars up and they'd flash their lights on us and they'd illuminate this sandbar full of kids drinking <laughs> and whooping it up. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and then they'd be like, uh, Okay, well, we're it turned into this game of chicken. They'd be like, "All right, well, yeah, we we got you cornered now, you know. Like, there's nowhere for you to go, you know." And we're like, and "We're like, how much beer do we have?" And they're like, <laughs> "How much time do we have?" We'll wait you out here. <laughs> we just sit there until the until the the sheriff was like, "Well, I got to get home to my wife." And the- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They would like, next time kids <laughs> yeah we would just it was just like this weird standoff and it was just the funniest thing and and um gosh i have such good memories from out there it's such a beautiful little nook that you know not enough people probably go out there that's probably why we like it but 
That is exactly why I like it. Yeah. It, I feel like it's just a far enough walk in that you're, it's not, you're not just going there for a little bit. Like you have to commit to being there for a couple hours if you're going to make that. Yeah. One. 100%. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, Dustin, every, I'm just like, we talked about off mic. I'm just super thrilled to start doing some of those summer things that you think about all winter long, you know, like, Oh, I can't wait for the state fair. Or I can't wait for art. I can't wait to go golfing or whatever it is. It's like, you're, you're it's, it's here. It's at your disposal now. And uh, it's exciting. So. And, and then it's how much stuff can you cram in in like three months? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the That's really why we're tired. Of it. Like the 4th of July and the minute cleaning up your <laughs> yeah the clock starts ticking you know like oh gosh we have, we have 14 days before we have to <laughs> before we're gonna go to the black hills and then we gotta see mount rushmore and then we're you know and then you start to have that post-summer anxiety that we all get like oh we didn't get to do this you know and then you just um i've been i've been threatening to go trout fishing for four years now and i haven't just because you just run out of time. Well, it's like you brought up you brought up yeah, golf. That's, that's what I say every year. It's like, oh, I'm, this is this is my year. I'm actually gonna golf. I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna get off. Yeah. I, have no one, I have no time for you that. You go to one golf fundraiser a year. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> then I've used that as my whole thing. So whenever somebody asks if I golf, that's I just say that they don't know that I haven't golfed at all besides that one time. But if I just bring up that one time <laughs> over and over again, I'll just keep doing that. Yeah, and you, there's 18 holes, and how many shots? Probably for you, 120 shots. <laughs> Talk about each shot. Oh, I was I was playing golf last summer, and I hit the shot on 18. It was like this, you know. You just, you know, just you have a whole bag of memories to recite. <laughs> so you had said you were because your family still lives here in Menominee, correct? Yeah, my mom still lives in Menominee, so sure. I would. So what did you do? You just said off mic you were here not long ago. Yeah, thrift sale. It's thrift sale season in Menominee, and so we came. I went. I came over to help uh, set up my mom's thrift sale, and oh man, the thrift sales in Menominee are a tradition unlike any other. Like you, me, you, I saw so many people. Like that's it was the funnest thing. I sat out there in the driveway and just. Oh, hey, my old science teacher. How are you? you know, like, and then, the, and I have a thing. I mean, relatives, science, old teachers, everybody. It was so fun. It was like a reunion. And, um, you know, and all, to, and we, we made over $50. So, <laughs> worth of stuff. And we got to have like a, you know, like a, a basically like family barbecue. And I, it was great. And, uh, but I have a theory about garage sales at Menominee and that is that people come and then they buy crap and then next year you go to their house and buy it. <laughs> it's just a trading. It never, nothing ever leaves the circle. It's all just a giant blender that recycles people's garbage, you know? And, and it's just, uh, it's, and my mom and I, my mom and I have done maybe 10 of these sales and we have such a such a vastly different uh, uh, sort of idea of how it should go. Like I'm like, this is so you don't have to box it up and put it back in the garage. So put a put a quarter on it. And she's like, do you know that I paid four dollars for that plate in 1975? <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm like, nobody cares how much you paid for it. It's worth three hundred and fifty dollars now. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, it was fun, and um, and I love, uh, um, you know, I love the local beer scene, and uh, I love, I love the local quick trip scene. Oh my gosh, so <laughs> so many varieties of types of quick trips if you want to go. I think and we have all the all the different varieties of quick trips in our yeah country. yeah there's three main architectural quick trip designs and you have all three of them so <laughs> so true that's why it's like almost that's just like Becca said it's almost shocking when you go to the one down like by the campus and yeah you're like, what is this what is this archaic <laughs> property down here why would I come to this did I time travel <laughs> yeah. am I am I in 1998 yeah that's yeah it's true but uh good visit did you grow up here originally or did you grow up somewhere else yeah i was born in chicago and then my dad my dad grew up in menominee he was class in 1959 and uh so he got a he, he got a job in the early 70s in menominee he took over his dad's business in uh, menominee so i came back here from ages one to 18 and then I left uh, after high school to go to uh, Chicago and go to school. And so, so I was there for 17 years and I definitely, I definitely um, graduated, I think from Menominee high school. So <laughs> I think there's a, a record of that. <laughs> yet, yet to be confirmed, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to the ceremony anyways. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I remember that part. So Oh yeah, and so uh, yeah, so you said you went to school in Chicago. What was the, what? So again, we kind of most people listening to this or anything know that you're like you do stand up. That's a thing that you do. Um, so how do you how do you get into that? Like where when's the trajectory? When in when in life is you like, oh, I can stand behind a microphone and make people laugh. Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, I um, <clears throat> I always wanted to do it. Like I think there my mom found a letter that I'd written in English class in like junior high, you know, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut or a firefighter or whatever. And, and I actually wrote, I want to be a film director or a stand-up comedian. And that was like in junior high. But when you're 18 and you grow up in Menominee, there's no internet. Um, you don't really know that stand-up is an, is a thing, you know, you're like, well, I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to even, there was no, you know, open mic or comedy club or anything. So, um, so I went to school, I went to film school to try to pursue the directing part. And then I got involved in production and it was really fun. Like I loved, um, I would, I made TV commercials for about 15 years. And so, uh, I started as a production assistant. I went, you know, I went to film school, production assistant. And then um, it was really magical to be in Chicago in the 1990s because Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson and Mike Ditka were all there. And so we'd make a lot of those commercials over the years. And it was really fun. And I got really into it and I advanced up the ladder. And by the time I retired, I was an art director. But there was a, there was a, a a a period where I really felt like, oh, making commercials is for someone else. That's not for you. That's not your art. You're putting all this all this creative energy into building these sets. And you know, I was the set designer, production designer, and doing all these, you know, coming up with all these things. But it's never at the end of the day, you get your paycheck. But it's not. You don't have. You have no satisfaction that you 
personally made art because it it just was always for someone else. And so then there was a, a writer's strike of all things. There was a writer's strike and production and, and, and an economic downturn in like 2001 after 9-11, I guess. And the film business kind of came to a stop. And I got really depressed. I didn't know what to do. And my sister said, uh, my sister said, you should, um, you should do improv. I know you like comedy. You should do improv. So I went to the second city, which is in Chicago, uh, the famous improv school. And I took beginning improv and it was, um, it was just okay. I didn't, I didn't really like it. I thought, you know, I'm, I'd rather be my own team. You have to be on a team in improv. So then I, I, I came, um, then I moved back to Minneapolis and I was at the Mall of America and they had a sign that said open mic, uh, open mic tonight in the comedy club in the mall. And then so I went in and that's it. And I got hooked right away. Like the first time I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. And and then um, and it took a long time to get to where you could make money at it. So mm-hmm. a long time. So <laughs> <laughs> long enough that you started questioning what you were doing. You're like, is this, yeah. is this a job? Yeah, well, I never questioned it. I never questioned whether it could go somewhere because I always had my my film job. I commuted from Minneapolis to Chicago for seven years. And and so I would I would get a job in Chicago for two weeks on a commercial. I'd drive down, stay with my sister, who's a makeup artist down there, and we'd, you know, do a job. Then I'd come right back up to Minneapolis and I'd just get back into the open mics and and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'd go back down to Chicago. So I had this really cool lifestyle uh, <laughs> where, where I fit in really well with comedy because I could, I'd work really hard for two weeks and then come back and have a week off and then work really hard. And then, you know, so in those down times, I, I did comedy and, and then eventually, then um, you know, I got married and, um, and uh, met my wife and then we started working together as a duo and then. I started to do a lot more corporate show because I could, I have finally, it took me about 15 years to have an hour of clean material that you could do at the, the Mabel Tainer or, you know, <laughs> so once that happened, then I was like, okay, I can do this for a living and there's enough opportunity out there. Um, if you have the right kind of set and, um, and I, you know, so that's, that's kind of how it all happened. So. How did you, so how did you and your wife decide that you wanted to be a duo? Because choosing um, to work with your spouse is a decision. I also <laughs> work with my spouse. And so that is like, that's a decision to make. It's, you, you know, it changes some things. So just curious how yeah. you. Yeah, it, de- it definitely. It's a great question. Um, you know, and, and just to, just to sort of uh, inform uh the audience a little bit we don't do that all the time like we don't only do that um periodically so um she's she's got a million other things going on but we do it uh about 10 or 12 times a year and um it just sort of made sense because when we got married we were like like there's no way this is going to work if we're both out touring the country or doing comedy clubs for weeks on end separately you know you're in iowa i'm in i'm in new mexico or whatever you know it, it wasn't gonna work it's just there's it's just a, a tough way to start a marriage and so we said 
I'll go open up for you this weekend. So she's working the club in Fargo, let's say, and then I would go tag along as an opening act. And then she would call me on stage. She'd be like, Jim, get up here, you know, <laughs> just riffing. And then, it, and then we're finding, finding that the audience really liked that. So then we just gradually over the years started to write jokes for that, that duo thing. And now I think we, if we were to record uh, an album, we could probably do two albums worth of Tim and Mary jokes. And I don't know if we ever will, but we have enough now where we can do, you know, an hour and a half if we needed to fill an hour and a half. So, um, interesting so so how like so obviously you've been like you said you've been doing this for quite a while now do you find it easier now that you're going to like write the material and get where you need to be or is it is it i'm assuming it must be i don't know I, i'm not a comedian that's why i'm asking i guess so i don't know is it easier now like you said it took a long time to get the first hour going you know what it it's it's not it's much harder now and only because um only because uh, I think when it's your when it's your job, you know, back when I was young, 20 years ago, it was fun. And it was I mean, it's still fun, but it was like, you know, it would, you'd do a, a show, you would do an open mic, you'd have a few beers, you'd hang out with friend, other comics. It was like fun. But but that but you also had a day job to pay your bills. But then when you make the transition to. No, this you have to deliver the goods <laughs> or you have to sell your house and your car gets repossessed or whatever. Like you have to like so there's so every joke has so much more like riding on it where you're like, oh, this better work. Or I, you know, especially when you're when you're doing a corporate event and you want to write jokes specific to the company, you uh you're like, this has to work. There's no alternative, you know. So like the pressure of trying to make a, a living kind of alters the the dynamics of it it's still fun i'm still really blessed and lucky to be able to do this but it's still it, it the the you know it's like when you were in when you were in college you never even thought about what a mortgage was or you're just out there to let it loose and party and whoop it up you never think about i, I should have an ira and, and <laughs> you know. so it, it's just a little bit more pressure but it's but you know that's the whole that's the whole um you know, the whole thing is pressure. So it's, it's more uh, a different kind of, you know, experience than early on. Yeah. Cause that must be, a, that's the other thing like about stand up that like is shocking. Like, I mean, to stand on a stage by yourself, like you said, with a microphone and know that all these people are like staring at you and you have to, with their expectation, they psychologically know they're there to like make you're, you're going to make them laugh. Like, I mean, is it, still does it still like get to you sometimes is that still like a nerve-wracking feeling or is it kind of like like you know you're good at this now you're a professional like you know this is what you do so like you must i don't know does when does the comfort level hit to where oh yeah these people most everybody here is gonna at least have a good time yeah i i think it it all it it all depends on the venue and who's in the crowd for me i still get really nervous if it's if it's something that I know um, is not a good setup. And I use the word setup a lot. Like when you do the Mabel Tainer Theater, for instance, um, it's one of the most beautiful spaces in the country. It's, a, it's, a, it's the best audience experience you can get for watching a presentation, no matter what it is, music or 
you know, or, or a comedy or a play or whatever. And so the audience is automatically focused on you. Um, when I did this Minnesota State Fair, it was really hard. It was really hard because I was on I was on the Shells Pavilion. There was a Twins game at a sports bar thirty yards to my right. Uh, there's babies crying. There's uh, people just freely, openly talking. There's uh, you can hear the sound check for Bell Biv. DeVoe at the grandstand <laughs> and I'm up there trying to get people to listen to me and it's just it's just not working and then everybody that you know at, at the fair that gets the brochure of what the free music is and you know Tim oh my god I'm gonna go see Tim so I had like family and friends and they're out there and they're watching me just flailing around trying to <laughs> make this work so yeah i was nervous like i was like because right when i got there i'm like this is not i don't think this is a good setup you know if it's in a tent if it's in a tent or a, a small theater anything where people are focused on you but as soon as you start adding distractions and things then you start losing control and i think for comedians control is everything like controlling the light the audio the focus you know and, and so you know but but most of the time i'm i if it goes if it doesn't go the way i want i don't beat myself up i just like well I, you know that you did as good as you can do and so i have a lot more of that sort of um <clears throat> less um you know so I'm, I'm much easier on myself when it doesn't go well so sure and if it doesn't go well then you have content for future shows also that <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast if you have another five hours that you <laughs> let me know because i could i could i could tell you stories of of times it doesn't go well so well we need one we, we at least need one story then okay all right so i did we got mary and i got booked to do a, a company party and the the president of the company was a, I'm not going to name the company because it's very familiar to the region, Minnesota, Wisconsin. But the president was like a 90 year, the patriarch of the country was about 90 years old and he died about two weeks before the, the big event. And they thought, well, having comedy would be real therapeutic for our audience. Oh, no. And so they and so they said, well, we're going to have a we're going to have us. I think they called they kept calling it like a remembrance and I'm like, is this a eulogy? Is it, or are we going to follow a eulogy? And they're like, no, it's more of a remembrance. And I'm like, this is a eulogy. And so, <laughs> I don't know, maybe two hours worth of people got up and just poured their hearts out about how much this man meant to their careers and their lives and the community and stuff. And then, and then the the, the new president of the company, everyone is crying. There's 600 people in this big auditorium. And he's like, well, that's it. Thank you for sharing your thing. And then everybody stood up and started to walk to the bar or to use the bathroom. They, you know, they held their bladders for two hours while they, you know, and then, and he kind of panicked. He's like, well, let's get Tim and Mary up here. Tim and Mary, everybody. And, and nobody even acknowledged us or clapped or anything. And, and it was just the most awkward convergence of, of you know, timing and circumstance and so Mary and I went up and we, at by the end of our set, we were just talking to ourselves. We were just like kind of doing our jokes to each other because nobody else was interested. It's people were still crying and it was, and we got in the car and we, we, we got our checks 
we got in the car and we started laughing so hard. It was like, it was the weirdest, most horrible show, but you could only laugh. It was that bad. <laughs> so that's what I mean when I talk about like having control. Like now I'm, I'm a little bit more experienced. I would say like, well, what if we went before the eulogy? <laughs> or not at all. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, or not at all. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm sure they still laugh about it. I don't think there's any animosity. Right? It was just one of those things where nobody could win. So, I remember when I I also when I was younger worked for a local factory, and and every year like they did a Christmas party, and this is the only Christmas party I ever went to. And again, like stereotype what a factory worker is, right? We uh, and so, like, they didn't, like, they had stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget, I'm a comedy. Like, I grew up with my mom watching it. They, I thought you were going to say it, and I'm a comedian. No, no, not like, that. That's so we're, like, waiting, and we knew there was a comedian there. They wouldn't, like, tell us who. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, all right. And they brought out Paula Poundstone. And immediately I went, this is the wrong crowd for Paula Poundstone. I'm like, we've got a bunch of, like, 20, 30-year-old men in here. And at the time, you know, this is probably eight years ago. And Paula's an older, you know, comedian from my mom watched her. She had like her VHS tapes when I was a kid. And I just sat there. I'm like, oh, no. And uh, it went, I felt like the whole time I'm like, oh, no. And like, of course, like the corporate people who were all in their 60s sitting up front, they were laughing. And then every chair behind them was just silent. And I'm like, oh, no, this is just a. I'm like, you can tell the eight people in the room thought it was a great idea, all the heads up, but nobody thought of like what everybody else would think. And I was just, and the whole time I'm like, oh, she's going to leave this and go, wow, what a, what a mess that was. But yeah, I would, I made me think of that. I hadn't thought of that story forever, but yeah. Yeah. Knowing Paula, I don't know Paula. She's one of, definitely one of our, our uh, favorites. Like we, my wife and I both she's the the base she's the best you know and so i'm sure she grabbed the paycheck oh yeah in the car took it to the airport and thought about her next show you know I never like thought about it again. She, why would she ever i i mean it makes us think like it's just because you're local so you would find this funny i remember like remember when this theater in eau claire was open that state theater that was downtown it hasn't been open in forever yeah i remember like i saw oh gosh 10, 10 15 years ago lisa lampanelli was there and that was at like roast time where she was the the thing. And uh, I remember she like was there and I remember I'm like, why is she in Eau Claire? Like this seems a little small for her, you know, her fame. And she got interviewed like wherever she went. Now, do you remember this time? But like she, cause it was like all local. And she just was like, well, I was just in Eau Claire. What a dumpster. <laughs> and she was like, why am I doing this little town at the next town she was at? And then, of course, volume, like, I remember, like, volume one ran the story of, like, like, oh, famous comedian slams Eau Claire. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my gosh. I love it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's funny. Um, there's, yeah, that's another thing, too, is, like, and for the listening pe- audience, I don't, there are a lot of things that happen like that. But there's also a lot of shows where, you know, or it's the right fit and it's a great time. And, you know, like we, <laughs> it is the mismatched moments where in comedy that are, I think the funniest overall, <laughs> but right. um, my, uh, I, you know, 
I, you know, I, my wife and I do a lot of shows in the upper Midwest and it's like, and I feel almost guilty that it's like a safety zone for us because we speak upper Midwest, you know, like value, like that's kind of, that's where we're from and that's what we know. And so I've been really battling like, um, the anxiety of performing in New York or Los Angeles or, um, we were just up in the Northeast in um, Maine. And, and and the more I do this, the more I realize that, you know, most Americans have the same kind of, uh, um, the same side of mindset, the same kind of values. It's just a different, wrapped up in a little bit different accent sometimes or a different, you know, just slightly different. Like when you go to the South, it's just, I talk to some people after I do a lot, a lot of shows in Florida and I talk to some people and I'm like, are you Scottish? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't recognize the deep Florida drawl or whatever, you know? And, and, but, but it's like the same, if you speak, if your comedy language speaks to a basic humanity, then you're okay. And, and I, I'm, but I've been trying to get over that fear, except in Los Angeles, our audiences there are garbage. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I just don't like in LA. It's just the one city where people are completely living in a fantasy land. In my opinion, it's just a weird. It's a weird city. But I'll get into that later. That's a whole different podcast. No, LA is like its own separate con- like country within our country. Like, yeah, are their own. Ethnic. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's completely different than the rest. I of agree. It. It's a completely like you could have a joke that you think is the your best joke, and you go to go to the improv or go to the comedy store, and people look at you like, "What are you talking? Like, are you speaking Latin? Like, what?" And I think it's because if you're not famous, they really don't trust you they don't trust you if you're not famous you know and and that's the only city where this happens like is if you're you know you go up on a show and jim gaffigan is there and chris rock or whatever um there's a brand that's already been established that, that they're willing to like but if you're not familiar to them there's a real like oh what's this guy gonna say you know there's this real i don't know it's a very odd and weird um place and i you know i quite i tell this to my wife because we she's always like we should go back to la again and i'm like you know maybe we could do a separate thing where you go up (laughs) (laughs) i'll go out but whatever oh my gosh Uh, so i know i guess last question as we start getting close to wrapping up here i know you said you didn't like necessarily grow up on it but like so who are some of like the the influential um comedians that you remember even if Maybe if it was later in life, that oh, for sure, uh, Steve Martin. He was my he was the the end all be all for me when I was because with his uh, the remember King Tut the song yeah. that came yeah like that was my first exposure to laughing out loud and 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 then I bought his album or my somebody bought it for me I didn't buy it I was probably seven or eight but somebody bought me the album and and I still remember the jokes like verbatim and I just feel like that must have been a big influence and then um you know and then Richard Pryor watching those specials in in the 80s and Louis Anderson huge influence on both my wife and I and we were lucky to get to know him um uh, you know over the last 
few uh over the last decade or so my wife opened up for him a lot on some of his tours and we got to spend some time with louie and 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 he kind of for us he kind of set the bar on how to do how to do stand-up and how to conduct yourself on and off the stage like he was just such so good with like fans and and um respect for the audience and he, he was just yeah, we miss him every day. We we talk about him a lot. So, um, but yeah, and and then the the more the newer comics, um, like Gaffigan, and um, he's not new, but you know, like that that generation, Gaffigan and and um, Kathleen Madigan. I don't know if oh, you're, yeah. she's one of our favorites. And 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 I should mention too, Maria Bamford is is sort of oh, like yeah, Maria Bamford's you, funny. You would, uh, if you. Would, not familiar with maria bamford please go watch one of her specials or listen to one of her albums she's truly she's from duluth too okay i was just gonna say i saw louis at the babel tainer like two years ago and i remember yeah my my mom and i went i was like forced like you know my mom like oh my god i'm like if louis anderson at the mabel i have to see it you know and i remember coming out of that show i'm like that is one of the funniest things i've ever seen i i didn't go in thinking i'm like oh it's louis anderson it's gonna be super fun but I remember coming out going like, I don't, I'm like, that's a top three show I'd ever seen for stand up. I'm like, gosh, it was so good. Like, yeah, like, he had this, he had a thing that I don't think you can, that I, I don't think you can develop. I think you're born with it. And, and I always feel like with those types of comedians, you're born with a gift and he, he had it and it was, he's, he was so special. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final? Do you have any final questions as we wrap up? Just my final question. I have a lot more questions. Yeah, I know. Ask, but... Tim, we'll have you on it. Uh, episode one hundred. That's the deal. Yeah. I got one more thing uh, I want to mention. Um, if any of you are looking for bargains, my mom still has a bunch of stuff in her driveway. <laughs> Is it big free sign? It's half price up until Fourth of July, but just. Direct message me and I'll set you up. There's plates, there's vases, there's um, there's a couple lawn chairs that just need a little bit of repair. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so funny. Um, all right, uh, so where can everybody find you? Uh, where, where do you got coming up? Oh yeah, summer? I wanted to I wanted to plug a couple shows. Uh, June seventeenth in Hayward, Wisconsin, with Mary Mack. Charlie Parr and Joanne Parker. Um, it's a oh, my wow. variety show. It's a really great lineup. Um, tickets are probably going to sell pretty fast for that one, but I wanted to mention it. My wife's doing the North Star Comedy Hour. It's her variety show, and I'm helping to write the sketches and do some of the um, stand-up part of it. And then the other show that I wanted to promote is uh, 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 why are you June, where, wait, what's going on? Oh, that's, okay, wait, oh, there it is. Okay, it's June 21st in Mondovia at Forever Farms. It's this awesome, uh, it's like a farm to table type uh, place or, you know, they do amazing burgers and, and they have this. Together Farms, sorry, yeah. Together Farms, yeah, no, is it? Oh, Together Farms, yeah, not Forever Farms. Uh, Together Farms in Mondovi. So uh, check that out, that'll be fun. So yeah, that's... Together Farms is awesome, yeah, people yeah. are listening to this and there's tickets left. That's like a must go. That place is super cool. Yeah, they do burger nights Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, all summer long. I started already, so 
Yeah, they have a whole slate of of comedy this summer. They brought they they announced like a, a whole calendar of uh, and they got great great acts coming. Johnny Beaner is coming up from Madison. He's one of our favorites. So, um, yeah, Mondovi, June twenty first. So, yeah, so Tim, before we oops, sorry, I was going to say about, the same thing. Yeah. So <laughs> we wrap up with the same questions to every guest. So we'll uh, we'll ask you. Do you want to go first? Show me. Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Um, what kind of good food have you eaten lately? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> my uh, my wife and I went to uh, Portland, Maine, two weekends ago <clears throat> because we scheduled some work out there because we just go for the, the lobster rolls. And, uh, and it's the kind of thing I don't know if you ever had nobody, I don't know what a lobster roll was. Nobody knows. I mean, it seems like it's such an unfamiliar thing in the upper Midwest, but it's basically like lobster on a roll. And, um, we had, so we had lobster rolls and we can't, we can't stop dreaming about them. So, uh, <laughs> up the, we love seafood. So, and then we had our, our uh, oysters and, uh, and then, um, yeah, it was fun. So I, that was that's the highlight of my my year so far is the portland maine lobster rolls Yum. <laughs> sounds delicious yeah um, my question is uh what's your favorite movie uh favorite movie is probably um casino but with uh, joe pesci and robert de niro oh yeah sure the, the, as an the, art director from the film business anything he said in the 70s where they really nail the you know the the details uh and i love i love las vegas and i love casinos and i love uh, robert de niro so that's probably my favorite movie it's a good choice i watched that movie when i was way too young it's one of the <laughs> movies that i remember as a kid watching, like in like my upstairs going what am i watching especially against the cornfield scene and i'm like i feel like i'm way too young for everything that's happening here well it did it set the record for the most f-bombs so oh yeah interesting and that's not a surprise yeah so if you're if you're a parent out there make sure not to play casino at your children's <laughs> your children's next <laughs> well work it all last other thing i know you had plugged some shows where's all where people find you the website facebook oh, yeah. i'm mostly doing my my uh, instagram nowadays it's at tim harmston T-I-M-H-A-R-M-S-T-O-N. And I also have a website, timharmston.com. Great. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for being our 50th guest. Yay! Of little podcast we started two years ago that somehow we're still doing it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Becca. Thanks, Dustin. I, I had a lot of fun talking, even though it's before nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we apologize. You, know, you but... get up early. Um, <laughs> Well, you can find our podcast on um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Visit our website, thebanampod.com. If you're interested in learning more about us and how we ended up doing this. Um, but until next time, we'll see you later.